my friend, my brother, uh, Pastor Dan Watkins, who pastors in Decatur, is here with his lovely wife, Crystal, and their son, Jacob, who loves donuts, and I haven't seen him eat one yet, so I'm going to make him at least eat a, eat a half a dozen before he leaves the building. But nonetheless, we, they are with us this morning. Dan and I, have, we have known each other for years, and we are in a huddle, which meets once a week, and we, we're on the Internet. And me being challenged on the Internet, it was two weeks before they could even see my face, but when they saw my face, they wished I just went back to the voice version. But nonetheless, we're growing in Christ together, and God has given him a message to come and share with us this morning. So, and his favorite baseball team is bleep. I can't can't bring myself to say the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh my gosh! That's huh? sad, brother. Lord, I love this guy, and I just thank you for his heart and the message that you have given him and his heart to share with us this morning. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that we're just open to it, and whatever you have for us to do. I just pray that it go right to our hearts, that we might embrace it and obey it. For we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey. So Eddie and I are in a huddle. And no, we don't cuddle in the Because I've had people say, what do you guys, a bunch of cuddling? No, it's, it's you know, we kind of meet via Zoom, which is, again, technology is tremendous, I guess. Uh, for me being an indicator and Eddie being over here. But like... I do have a couch in my office. Yeah, he's, he's jealous because I have a couch in my office. I think Tuesday I'm going to sit on that couch with my legs propped up and we do our, do our meeting. Again, I'm thrilled to be here. And one of the things that, that I've noticed that I think is really cool is this theater. Man, you guys, you guys are really blessed to have this. I've, you know, I go some places. I don't get out a lot um, on Sundays, obviously, but go some places and, and see a lot of things. But this is just really cool. I mean, the fact that I can, everybody's in eye level. It's very intimate. I mean, I, you know, other than these folks over here, I got to turn a little bit. But um, yeah, we love it. And so my wife and my son, we came over last night. Um, one of the things uh, I got, my son just turned 16. Let me ask you, how many parents went through the driving thing with your kids? Few of you keep me in your prayers, please. Um, patience is not one of my fortes as it would, as it would be. So we went out to the school my son goes to Mount Zion high school, which is right outside Decatur and big parking lot. So I decided we'll start there first. You know, so we're driving around the big parking lot. I'm, I said, okay, let's treat this like an intersection. Let's stop and let's look and let's drive around, you know. So we're, you know, we're doing that. And then as most young drivers do, what do you want to do? You want to you jerk the wheel. I mean, it, you, you tell them, okay, it's, it's very fluid. It's very subtle. You know, so he's doing this. And, you know, I, of course, I asked him if I could share this because I hate to, you know. Um, so anyhow, I, I tell him, I say, son, you're overcompensating. And he looks at me and he says, I don't know what that means, Dad. What does overcompensate mean? And I said, well, it means that you're, you don't have to. You just, it's just like, so anyhow, I said all that. Just say, please keep me in your prayers. Um, as we endeavor to go this long road um, for him. In Illinois, I think they have to have 50 hours um, with, with a, a, a parents or whatever, thinking they're licensed. So we have 47 more hours of drive time. <laughs> So anyway, like I said, thrilled to be here. I believe God's, God's given me something, and, and I shared this with the, the folks at New Beginnings New Year's Eve, but I think he's given me something that's timely. It's timely for us in 2018, um, and I believe it's timely for, for you guys here at Crossroads. But let me begin with a question. What does it mean to be different? For whatever reason, I have heard people say, Dan, you're just different. Eddie would probably, would probably, I've heard him say that about him as well, but they said, Dan, 
you're different. I've also had people say you're special and unique. And again, I don't know if those are terms of endearment or not. Um, but so I decided to look up in Webster's um, what difference means. And different is defined as not the same as another, unlike in nature, distinct or separate. So with that in mind, I've simply entitled uh, this morning's sermon, Different. And our text is going to be found in 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 9 through 24, and we may not hit the last couple there, and also 1 Peter 3, 9. But I want to tell you that I come bearing extremely good news. And one of the things you got to know about me is I'm a very passionate person. That's why Eddie and I, I think, you know, we hit it off. He's kind of the same way. I'm passionate about my Illini. I hate to admit it because we stink in football and basketball. We're good in girls volleyball and golf, but neither of the sports do I follow much. Um, and I'm passionate about my Cardinals. I'm hoping we get a couple more sign, you know, so we can keep, keep challenging the Cubs. But I'm extremely passionate about those things. Love sports. But I'm also extremely passionate about God and, and, and the difference that God makes in all of our lives. Um, so what I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe can be life-changing for all of us, that God has called and he set you apart to do something different. And it's fantastic. I hope when you leave here, you understand, first of all, how God sees you, that he's called you, and that he has set you apart. This morning, I can say that with great confidence. I was reading through the book of, of 1 Peter, um, and one of the things that Peter talked about over and over again was the words call, calling, or called. And, and for those of us that are in full-time ministry, you know, everybody says, when did you get the call? It's not like you picked up the cell phone and God called and said, hey, I want you to go in ministry. You know, that's not kind of the call that we're talking about. But what does that mean for, for all of us? And I would say maybe the word is chosen uh, or set apart. But here's what I know. When you recognize that you've been chosen or called to do something, that it builds this anticipation. And for whatever reason, when I put the sermon together about a month ago, I was drawn to the seventh grade. I don't know why. I hated the seventh grade. Um, I don't know how you guys thought about junior high. But I was drawn to my seventh grade science teacher, Mr. Coppage. Again, one of those names out of the past that for whatever reason just came out of nowhere. And he was the head of the very prestigious safety patrol in the seventh grade. Now, I grew up in a very rural school. I grew up in Lovington, which I don't know if you guys, other side of Arthur, if you guys, the Amish, that kind of thing. Um, our high school had about 100 students, and my graduating class had 25 in it. Um, so, very rural school, and one of the things that he was in charge of was safety patrol in seventh grade, making sure the little kids with the bikes and, and walking across the street and all of that. And I remember getting chosen for that. Any guys ever been chosen for anything? I mean, and as I recall back in the seventh grade, it was very prestigious that they only selected the best of the best in the seventh grade. <laughs> At least that's what I want to think, again, you know. So, so anyhow, one of the things that you got as a, as a reward for safety patrol was you got to sit in the teacher's lounge. That's big time. At least back then, maybe it wouldn't be now for seventh graders, but, but back then, to sit in the teacher's lounge and drink a Coke and have ice cream, that was pretty big time. But I was chosen and set apart and had a reward. What I want you to see this morning is that you were chosen and handpicked and set apart child of Almighty God. If you look with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it will be on the screen if you want to follow with me or um, in your text as well. It says, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Listen to this out of the message translation. I think this is fantastic as well. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Isn't that fantastic? That he's called us to tell others of this night and day. How many of you guys remember before, before Christ? Some of you probably had some really good stories, right? And the things that God has brought you out of. And so that's what it's saying, from rejected to accepted. And when we understand this, it's a game changer for us for a lot of reasons. First of all, you have to understand who, who they were talk, Peter was talking to at this point. He wasn't talking to scholars. He wasn't talking to the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the, the people that knew the law. He wasn't talking to those folks. He was probably talking to the Gentiles. And he's reminding them of who they are. Do you understand this verse in, in, in ministry or whatever? We call this the priesthood of the believers. And it's a game changer because this is not just speaking to pastors and clergy and priests and those folks. It's talking to everybody. Men and women, boys and girls, all races, that there is no discrimination here. And to me, that's why this is a game changer. Is If we, the body of Christ, understand this, it's huge. It's huge for the world that we go out into, that God has called us to something that's different. One of the things as a pastor that I've heard over and over is people tell me how boring their lives are. Can I tell you, as a follower of Jesus, he never intended for our lives to be boring. He never intended for our lives to be mundane. I hear people say, well, I get up, I do the exact same things, but you don't understand how God sees you and what, what he desires to do in your life. So this morning, real quick, we're going to look at a couple of, of callings so I can illustrate. The first calling I want to look at is this eternal call to Christ. And if you're following Jesus this morning, you understand this. It's when the Holy Spirit comes in, begins doing this work in you, right? I mean, it says nobody comes to, to Jesus except the Holy Spirit comes in, and he stirs you a little bit, right? He, he kind of, he, you, get, you get hungry for, and thirsty for spiritual things. So he stirs in you this hunger, you know, and, and because it's God's will that nobody should perish, that we all have grace through faith through Jesus, this extended invitation. And it takes me back to Luke 5 when Peter was fishing. And you all know Peter in the Bible. To, my, to me, he's, he was the best. I like Peter. Kind of, I remind myself a lot. I say things that I shouldn't and, and things like that. But he's out fishing one day. And I'm assuming, how many of you guys fish? He's having a bad day. I mean, he, this guy knows how to fish. And he's out fishing and he doesn't, he doesn't catch anything. You know, so here comes this rabbi, this, this Jesus, and he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, why don't you take that net and you throw it over here on this side of the boat? I'm assuming Peter probably said, look, you're a rabbi. I don't tell you how to interpret the law and scripture. Don't tell me how to, how to fish. But for whatever reason that day, maybe he was desperate, maybe he was tired, he picks up his net and he drops it on this side of the boat. And maybe you guys know the story in Luke 5. It says that all of a sudden the nets break. And there's this huge amount of fish. And so Peter comes to this realization that this Jesus is more than a rabbi. And then, so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, guess what, Peter? You're not going to fish for just fish anymore. From now on, you will be a fisher of men. And he tells him that. So it's this eternal call to Christ. And, and we know, some of us know that. And Peter would have known that that day. But the second calling is this call, temporary call to an assignment. And what I mean by that is maybe people would say, you know, I'm called to go to this college. I'm called to be a teacher. I, I feel a calling 
to go on this mission trip, maybe to Haiti or the Dominican Republic or Brazil. Um, it's maybe I feel a call to go to the soup kitchen to local and, and start volunteering there, but it's a temporary call to an assignment. And I think we all understand that as well. But the third one is what we're going to camp out on for a few moments this morning. And it's important. And I think so many followers of Jesus forget this. And it's a daily call to a different standard, a daily call to a different standard. He desires us to live different. Um, you know, a lot of the times when we think of call, calling, we think about what, what does God want me to do? But can I tell you with God, and maybe you followed God enough to know he's more concerned with who I'm being than what I'm doing. He is. He's, you know, we spend so much time going, God, what, what do you want me to do with my life? And God's going, okay, but I want you to be. Dan, I want you to be who I'm called you to be. And when you get that right, everything else falls into place. He's more concerned with who I am, my integrity, my motives, my heart. When you know who you are, you're going to know what to do. And, and, and write that down if you don't get that. If you know who you are, then you know what to do. So Peter's writing again to these, this first century group of Gentiles, and he's reminding them who they are. One of the reasons for that was following Jesus in the first century would have been a lot of those guys lost their lives. They were stoned. Their families were taken from. I mean, it was this big deal. So he's reminding them before he tells them what they're supposed to do, he reminds them who they are. And also you've got to understand that, that the followers of Jesus were looked at as being like whacked out and crazy, maybe even more, a lot more so than what we would be today. It's even mainstream in a lot of places for people to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. It seems to be thrown around very flippant in our society right now, but there, there was a price to pay if you're following Jesus. You know, people thought that these folks were incestuous and cannibals. I mean, Jesus talked about, here, take my body and my blood, and people didn't understand what he was talking about. So they were very much misunderstood of, of who they were. Again, listen to what he's telling them, okay? So he, it's the Gentiles, and he stands up and he says, guess what, guys? You're chosen people. You're this royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's own special possession. And that's what I want you to see this morning if you're following Jesus, that you're his very own possession, that you're handpicked by God, adopted by God to be in his family. Adoption is one of the things I think in Christianity we don't understand. Ephesians 1.6 in the message says that long, long ago that he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Now, my wife and I and Jacob, we are foster family. We've had a lot of kids in. It was something God dealt with us um, to do. We opened our home. We probably had 20-some different kids come in and come through. And, and like I said, I could stand up here, sit up here forever and talk about the problems these kids have and, and all of that. But what I know is, as a foster family, they tell you to treat them like your own. And we do. We've taken them on vacation. We've had them for six or eight months at a time. You know, we buy them things. We do things for them. But we didn't adopt them. Now, maybe some of you guys have adopted kids, and I have friends that have. What's the difference? Well, the difference is they take their name. The difference is now they have their inheritance. They're entitled to everything that that family has. And if they have kids, they're entitled to the exact same things as their very own kids. What I want you to see that the God of the universe, if you're following Jesus, has adopted you into his life, and, and, and he's given you everything that he has He's not doing anything else. He's done it all. He's, he's given you all authority and power, and he has a supreme confidence in you. You know who holds us back? 
You know who holds me back? It's me. It's Dan. When I don't see myself the way God sees me, it says that they're a royal priesthood. And this would have meant a lot to the first century believers because they had this tremendous respect for the priesthood. And now they're hearing these words that you're just like them. You can do these same things because God has, has gifted you and he's called you to do these things to make a difference in your world. This would have been, I mean, their eyes must have gone, are you kidding me? See, the other thing I want you to see is they're a part of a holy nation. The kingdom of God, do you understand your life is bigger than you? Do you understand that this kingdom of God is bigger than crossroads? It's bigger than Sullivan. It's bigger than Indiana. It's bigger than the United States. It's bigger. It's, it's the kingdom of God. Sometimes we short side that. See, this world is not their own. They, they see they're a part of something bigger. There are people belonging to God. And then that's what I want you to see, that their bodies are not their own. They've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. They belong to God. And and under his care and under his goodness, that's who they are. And he goes on to say, as a result, you're God's very own possession. You show the goodness of others you know, to the world. You show the goodness of God to those around and about you. When you know who you are, you're going to know what to do. See, so God called you. Everybody this morning say, God called me. Good. You guys are good. So we've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. We've been called, chosen, and invited. We're no longer in darkness. It says now we're in the light. And our lives have been transformed. How many of you this morning would say, I'm not who I used to be? Thank God, right? Because, but this relationship with Jesus is about transformation. It's about not being who we once were. It's about the world looking at us and going, you're different than you used to be. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says that we've been transformed by the blood of Jesus. But the bad news is, guys, we live, do you know we live in a skeptical world that looks at followers of Jesus and looks at the Bible and goes, that's a bunch of that's craziness. Because so many followers of Jesus, I believe, have misrepresented who Jesus was. You know, sometimes you have to earn the right um, to tell people about the gospel and how we live. Um, so it's this daily calling in front of this skeptical world. And I believe, why did Christianity, why did it, did it go exponentially around the world? Because they did this. They, they lived this different calling before people every day, and they saw that, and they saw the difference, and they went, I want what you have. First Peter 2, 11 and 12 says this, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then there'll be one over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Notice what he doesn't, Peter doesn't say. You have to convince him first. You sometimes as, as followers of Jesus, we want to take our Bibles, and I'm not saying we don't ever do that. Don't, don't hear me here. But what I'm saying is, is that's, that's the first thing we want to do. We want to beat them up over the head because they don't believe like us. He doesn't say that. He says, live this exemplary life among them so that your actions will refute their prejudices. We're going to show them how we love and what we think by how we behave. We live honorably. And don't you think in today's culture, I mean, when a lot of times Christians are talking about what they hate, they hate politics, they hate this, they hate that. Did Jesus do that? Jesus wasn't a hater. Jesus made a huge difference, but he didn't dog everything either. So before we are in the right to be heard, we've got to show people what we believe by how we behave. 
We build a bridge to share with them the love of Jesus. Before I tell you what I believe first, I want to show you and love how I live. And it's especially important in this day and age. And like I said, I don't, I'm not saying that we don't ever defend our faith. I believe there are times we definitely take the Bible and we defend our faith. But God has called us to be spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. And the church, and by church again, I mean the body of Christ. I mean, this beautiful theater is not a church, right? It's a, it's a place you worship. The church are people. Jesus is coming back for his church, which are people, right? So we have to stop being known what we're for, being known what we're against, and being known more what we're for. In verse 15 of 1 Peter 2, it says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It's the way you live, not just what you post on social media. That counts. You know, I, I see so many times we want to just refute everything on social media. We don't have to do that. We don't always have to live that way. So what is our strategy? We should love irrationally, give extravagantly, serve pe people faithfully and do it again and again and again. Not that we'll reach everybody, but the world will take notice. I guarantee the world will take notice when we live this daily standard. What are we called to do? Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. You know, sometimes following Jesus and doing this different thing costs you something. I mean, the first century church and even places around our world now, it costs them their life, right? I mean, they were stoned, they were beaten, they were, they were um, crucified, all those things that we hear. But in our world, what would that look like? What, what would be the cost for us? Maybe you don't get the promotion because you're living boldly for Jesus and you won't compromise to the world standards. Maybe you don't get invited to a party that you wanted to get invited to because you're living boldly for Jesus. Maybe in school, the other students kind of make fun and poke fun of you because you're living boldly for Jesus. But we do it because it's the right thing to do. And it's what Jesus would have done because Jesus was loving and gentle and he was kind and he was full of grace. He wasn't arrogant or condescending, rude or proud, defensive or hateful. And don't, don't you see, I mean, I see Christians that, that exhibit those latter characteristics and I want to go up to them and say, stop telling yourself you're a follower of Jesus. You're doing the rest of us a disservice that are trying this daily standard thing in our own lives. Because Jesus was the sinless son of God who loved the unlovable. Verse 22 through 24 says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore sins in his body on the trees so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You've been healed. What did Jesus do on the cross? I mean, the cross is an example of so many things, but as he hung there, right? The, I mean, this is God. This is the creator of the universe that spoke and something was. What did he say? He said, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he had that even to the end. I will tell you, if it was me, I would have called legions of angels and they would have taken those Roman soldiers and they would have been a spot in the ground. They'd have been done. And it'd been flashy and it'd been full of power and shock and awe. But that's not what he did. He said he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He left his case in the hands of God who judges fairly. That's not always what I do. Somebody wrongs me, I get upset. And I'm probably not the only one, right? I know I follow Jesus, but there are times, man, maybe you can wrong me, but you wrong my wife or my son, I, you're going to see some ugliness, right? 
So it's the way Jesus lived. He was the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He never sinned. He never retaliated when someone ever wronged him. You know, if you look in our world, there's a lot of really good people, philanthropists that are doing tremendous things, and they do a lot of great things, and they don't follow Jesus, and they don't go to church. But where we differ, I, I believe the gospel is this different standard. What does Jesus say when somebody wrongs us? What does he turn the other cheek? He says sometimes, if somebody asks you to walk a mile, you walk two. If somebody asks for your shirt, you give them your jacket and everything else you have as well. That's hard. That's a different standard that the world takes notice because when somebody wrongs me, I want to get back at them. But Jesus says in 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't lash out when people lash back at us because we're called to something different. And here's the other thing I want you to see this morning before you leave is that you're on call. If you're following Jesus, it's not just how we live our life and, and how we act, but I want you to see that you're on call 24-7. You're chosen by God. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. You're on call when someone's in need. You're on call to give when someone's in need. When someone feels lonely, you're on call. It's not Eddie's responsibility or my responsibility or Steve's responsibility. It's all of ours. Why are so many pastors burnt out? Can I tell you why? Because everybody thinks it's on them. It's not. It never has been. Jesus says, you stand up here and you tell the people how I see them. Let them know what I think of them. See, it's the devil that whispers in. You couldn't do that. You, oh, you can't do that. But Jesus says, no, you're, I've chosen you. I've handpicked you. You're my very special possession. He says, he's, I put you on assignment daily because this is easy. I tell people, it's easy to come here. This is real easy. We, like all of us pretty much believe the same way. Great music. We hear a message and we leave. What's harder is tomorrow at school. My son's a freshman. In a world that doesn't think much of Jesus, living the daily standard there at my workplace. That's what's difficult. That's where the rubber meets the road. But God has put us on assignment. So if you're living next to a lady and she's an elderly lady and she can't mow her yard, guess what? You're in the mowing business now because you're on call 24-7. If you're in a grocery store and somebody's a little bit short with money and you have an extra 20, you're in the grocery business now. You're on call to meet a need. When somebody's being bullied, if there's a group of people being left out, you're in pastoral care. And you don't have to call Eddie. And you don't have to call Dan. Because God has put you there. And he has confidence in you. God gave us eyes to see the needs of people in this world. And he gave us a heart to care for those who are hurting And I told this story in the, in the first service. And I try to always tell it without without crying, but my grandfather was an atheist up until he died. He, he accepted Jesus at the last moment, but my dad was always in full-time ministry, and my mom, and we had conversations with Grandpa saying, Grandpa, you need Jesus, huh? You know what? It's good for you guys. I don't need that. And so Grandpa was dying, and he was in a nursing home, and you know, one day he was sitting there, and a nurse he was in the room, and, and he made a comment. He says, I'm scared to die. And this nurse looked at him, and she says, well, Dean, why are you scared to die? You know Jesus, don't you? He said, uh-uh. And she introduced him to Jesus right there. 
She didn't pick up her phone and say, hey, I need to call my pastor to come pray. She did it right there because she understood how God sees her, that she's the very own possession that God has confidence and he's called her. So while she's a nurse, she's a disciple of Jesus first. And if you understand that you are a disciple of Jesus before you do anything else. So before I'm a pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before you're a teacher, you follow Jesus first. And guess what? As you're at school, you're sharing the love of Jesus because you're following him. That's what this means. And that's why this is a game changer for us. If the church of Jesus Christ understood this, can I tell you what? Jesus would come back. If we started living this way, this would change the world in which we live. Who are we? We're God's very own. We're called by him. We're selected. We're his special possession. Because of that, he's called us to live this daily standard so the world will take, stand up and take notice. If you're following Jesus, we show up for work on time. We do a good job. If anybody should do a good job, it should be those of us that follow Jesus. Even if we're on our jobs, people don't appreciate it because we're living a different standard. We pay our bills on time. We pay things back. We're a blessing to people. We're a voice of encouragement. We're positive presence in the office. We're not messengers of gossip. We're, not mess we're messengers of hope. We build people up and we just show them love. When they criticize, we continue to show love. And we don't wage a war on social media. Again, I, I hit that because that is a pet peeve of mine. I believe that social media has a place but I believe Christians want to fight battles because it's easy to do. It's easy to hit a button and fight something on social media. Can I tell you what's difficult? This daily standard, that's hard. When somebody wrongs me and God says, no, you're supposed to turn the other cheek, that's what's difficult. Responding on Facebook is easy, honestly. So God is calling us to this, to this standard of letting people see the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus by how we live our lives each and every day and understanding how he sees us so that when you and I leave this place and we go to the restaurant, because if we can beat the Baptists there, it looks like we probably will be close to beating them. We'll make sure we're there first. Right? I was in a Baptist church, so I got friends, a lot of friends that are Baptists. Great people. But it starts out there. What I'm wanting this morning is for you to see how God sees you so tomorrow morning you can look at your job different. You can understand that you're following Jesus first and then whatever else he's called you to do and you make a difference where you're at. You don't have to know everything that's in your Bible. Jesus never said that. He's, Peter, what did Peter say? Be, always be ready to give an account for the hope that you have. It isn't you need a theology degree. You just go where God has called you. The darker the world is, and I understand it's dark and it's bleak, and as Christians we look and go, what has happened? But can I tell you that so much more the, the light of Jesus should shine and illuminate the world. I mean, if you're following Jesus, our light should be so bright that people go, whoa, you are just different. Because you're called to be different. Watch this video.
for something familiar I can't waste a day I can't stay the same I wanna be different I wanna be changed Till all of me is gone And all that remains Is a fire so bright The whole world can see That there's something different So come and be there said, when they see me let, me, let them see you. I don't know about you guys, but I am tired of Dan getting in the way. When people, I don't want them to see my imperfections. When, when people see me, I want them to see Jesus. And living this daily standard, I believe, will let the world look and go, you know what? You're not perfect, but we're called to live a different standard. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, Thank you for these fine folks at Crossroads. Thank you for what you're, what you're doing in their lives. God, let them walk out of here seeing how you see them, that they are your possession, that you have called them, that you have placed them where they're at, that, God, they follow you first, and then they do whatever you, they do with their lives, but they are followers of Jesus wherever that takes them, that they can be a beacon of light into a dark world. And we do that by how we behave and how we treat others and what we do. Holy Spirit, let that burn in our hearts today as we leave, that you've called us to a different standard. And you've not only called us, but you've empowered us to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless.